Hej och välkommen till Smartare. En svensk-dansk podcast om smarta processer, smarta appar och allting annat smart. I dagens avsnitt har vi en intervju med Mike Burke som är en hejdare på bland annat Omnifokus och automationer. Det här är ett superavsnitt så nu kör vi. Häng på! Hello guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's recording day. I'm really looking forward to an interview day. How about you, Michael? All done with Christmas, and uh, yeah, and uh, nothing like uh, looking into an episode where we're going to talk about productivity and automation. So I'm all fired up on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely looked forward to this episode as well. So we have a guest with us today, Michael. Who who is that? We are having uh, Mike Burke on the show today. And uh, just a little uh, story. I met uh, Mike the first time I think I saw him was on uh, learnomnifocus.com on a webinar. And then we tweeted uh, back and forth uh, prior to that and... uh, i discovered Mike's very beautiful blog and uh, his very great YouTube content as well. So, uh, and I was just thinking, wow, could we get this guy on on the podcast for for the Smarter Podcast? So, and here we are with Mike Burke from Bel Air in Maryland. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Mike. I appreciate it. Or sorry, Michael. We should probably distinguish that at the beginning, uh, just not, not to confuse the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I'm really excited to be here. Um, As Michael said, I am a um, former high school science teacher, and I am a have been running a website, uh, themikeburke.com. Unfortunately, mikeburke.com is uh, occupied, so I had to go with themikeburke.com and uh, and a YouTube channel um, to produce some content, really as a practice for my my day job, but also to to help people um, be a little bit better give them some shortcuts, so to speak, uh, to, to productivity and, and help them benefit from the, the work that I've done, the learning that I've done. And the great thing about you is that uh, very often you underline that you're not a programmer, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and so you're probably doing what lots of people are doing when they look into automating and uh, working with productivity sy- uh, systems is actually finding some code, maybe modifying a bit, but not inventing it yourself. Is that... Is that uh, Is that a good way of understanding the way you work? Absolutely. Um, I am I'm far from a programmer. Uh, I aspire to learn, um, yeah. but right now I am just uh, cobbling together the, the things that I find and, and uh, practicing and trying and iterating until I, I put something together that, that spits out what I'm looking for. So I am a, um, a pragmatist, not a programmer. Yeah. Exactly. I came across um, uh, on one of your, actually, I think it was on the Learn OmniFocus uh, uh, webinar we had, you showed a, uh, a mind map from your previous life as a uh, high school teacher. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, first of all, you know, doing science, teaching as a science teacher and how that actually, you know, brought you into automation and, and the productivity? So the job of a teacher, when you are someone who's interested in solving problems and capable of solving them, uh, can really start to expand. And I was doing things in the classroom uh, that were really interesting and compelling with technology. But then 
people started seeing that and asking me to, oh, can you build a website for the school? Can you, can we make a video for this? Can, uh, you know, can we build some maps or can we create some maps to help people get or navigate the school? So all, as these problems came up, I was, I spent a lot of time learning how to do that, uh, learning software like, you know, Adobe Photoshop or InDesign or those types of things, because mm-hmm. my brain searches for, I like to search for the answer. If I don't know how to do something, I search and say, what are the best people in the world do to solve this problem? And uh, a lot of times it, it starts going to professional software. And then from there, I just had too many things on my plate. <laughs> so I needed to start automating as many of the tasks as, as I could. So uh, it really came out of a, a need to squeeze more time out of the day and automation started to be that tool. Uh, so I started listening to the Automators podcast, like episode one, and uh, that's that started my automation journey. Um, and I started learning those tools and every episode I would learn a new thing and add it to the toolkit and eventually started doing these cool big chains, these automation chains that uh, really opened up so much time in the day that it, yeah. it became much easier. And that is really an inspiring show to uh, to to tune into the Automators podcast with uh, Rosemary Orchard and David Sparks. Um, that was actually also one of the podcasts that, you know, it's like, okay, now I need to do something around this, right? The, I over-automated, right? I started to, you know, automate everything. And so the lifespan of my automations was basically average, not very long, actually. But the ones that stuck is, uh, you know, really useful every day, right? So, Martin, what about your automation journey? What is that all about? Well, that started and is over, I would guess. Uh, my, my personal automation journey. Well, I, I'm, I don't automate that much. And that's generally because when I try to do it, I always get into limitations with the, with the software. And um, it can't really automate it in the way that I want to do it. And then maybe I automate just a small piece of it and the rest of it is still manual work. And... The, the thing I'm looking into to automate is mainly the things that I do over and over again. Uh, things like for podcast production, uh, where, where you can do some automations like renaming and moving files, but you could potentially also do things like auto-leveling and those kind of things. But it's really hard to do that, I think, at least in a good way, without getting down to the need of writing scripts. And I am a developer in my in in the back, so to say. I've been working as a developer for fifteen years, so I don't have problems writing code. I just have write problems writing code in AppleScript and <laughs> on on the Apple platform because that's just a weird language, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you, you're one of the guys that um, you know. I know a few guys that uh, have purchased the license of Keyboard Master, and it's no secret yep. that the only part of key, Keyboard Master that you actually use is the clipboard. <laughs> yeah, and that's fantastic. Yeah, the clipboard that's history really... manager. It's fantastic. I but use that so much. You are missing out so much. What do you think, yeah, yeah. Mike? Having keyboard master only using the clipboard. That's not you, right? It hurts. It yeah. hurts. <laughs> it, it's I might need a minute to recover after hearing that. That that's that's emotional. Uh it is it is a, a crazy powerful tool that's it's um the clipboard manager is really neat and it's a great benefit, but it is it is a incredible toolkit waiting waiting for you, Martin, whenever you're ready for it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also have like Alfred and I just use it like a spotlight exchange. Um, because when you, I, I use spotlight a lot to do the quick calculations, but Alfred has this extra feature that it can also copy the result 
to the clipboard. So that's why I use Alfred. <laughs> so yeah, laugh at me. I, it's not a problem. <laughs> that one no, I can't speak it, too much to. No, but no, but that's an you know I, Alfred for me is like there's some pretty good workflows if you are if you're into Devon things stuff like that and and you can actually do some pretty compelling Devon things searches directly from from the Alfred box right but that's uh, there are other tools uh, how to spot is one of them that that you could actually also use for the same things it, it looks a little different it works a little different but no it's an it's an automation trigger in a many events for me actually when you know I fire off a command from Alfred and stuff just starts to happen yeah Jens what about your automation journey if we just need to get around the table here yeah uh, I haven't uh automated that uh, that much um i recently came from a windows uh, system to to mac system and haven't uh, the need for for so much uh, automating my my stuff um right now what i uh, did was uh, taking all my digital fo- photos and and use hazel to automate uh, handling them putting them uh, in in a yearly folder and and changing the the file name so i i don't have duplicates because you can only have a thousand uh, pictures without uh, uh, repeating the, the the file name and then i added the date to to the to the uh, help me um, get rid of that problem and I take a lot of pictures, but not a thousand on on, on a single day. So, <laughs> but that that was really a, an eye opener about productivity and automating uh, for me. Um, mm. And having a programming background, it's uh, it's quite easy for me to 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 do automation. But but I I really missing some. Use cases uh, where I I can put my programming skills into into play. Uh, that's that's the, the the biggest problem. I I, I think there's a, a lot of uh, scripts and automation that uh, is is more created for for uh, have an idea of, of something to to automate rather than I really need to solve this problem. So for for me, I haven't found that much uh, task to to automate. Well. I think that uh, that Mike, that you actually, Mike, we are the only non-programmers on this show, right? I just <laughs> realized that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Michaels are not programming. We're just uh, stealing everybody else's code, right? Exactly. But I think, we appreciate you guys for yeah, for thanks, you making know. those things happen. Thank you. Well, right. the only difference is that us as programmers, we're actually just taking the code as well, and we're just saying <laughs> that we did it. That's the difference. <laughs> Stolen with pride. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, if it weren't for Stack Exchange, there wouldn't be that many programmers around. No, that's true. But I think that Mike is hitting on on a, on a very important point, and you know, taking the repetitive tasks that you have every day, right? And if we if we try to link this into what we all do a bit of, uh, both OmniFocus and and GTD, the capture part of uh, of. Uh, of GTD is, is really, and uh, from my perspective, a, an automation use case, right? Uh, 
one of the automations that uh, that I've seen you present, Mike, is uh, the one uh, that we have talked on on early episodes on this show on uh, on drafts about drafts. And I know that you are maybe the most super user draft person I know. And uh, the one you did where you are dictating, you're using the dictation feature on your on your Apple Watch and passing that into draft and moving that along into to OmniFocus. Can you talk a little bit about you know how that actually came to life for you and and you know and how you use it every day? Do you use it a lot or did you do that automation just because you could? <laughs> well that is the danger of automation, right? You you uh, yeah. you get a tool and and you start automating everything, like you said, Michael, and it's um you know that dragon slay in that direction, right? You can really go down a rabbit hole and, and start wasting time instead of saving time. But this one is one that I actually use on a daily basis. Um, I just used it right before we came up here. Uh, my son has a, we have a you know, reusable water bottles and the little label on his reusable water bottle um, that he takes to school was, was peeling off. And so Apple Watch came out, tapped the co- drafts complication and said, you know, relabel Caleb's water bottle. And yeah. um, it's it's on the shelf behind me right over here. So when we're done <laughs> the recording, I'm going to pop back there and grab the label maker and go down there and do it. But um, the the idea was that every, especially as a teacher, um, I'm walking around a lot, moving uh, in my classroom as students are asking questions, as you know, I'm down in the office and one of the administrators asks me to do something, just so many inputs were coming to me from so many places that I needed the fastest way to capture that. Um, and, and OmniFocus was just not it. Uh, OmniFocus does have a quick capture tool and, and it certainly is a powerful tool, but for my specific use case, uh, whether it's walking through the kitchen and my wife telling me that we need to buy something or my son pointing out his label maker or the label on his water bottle, Mm. Or, you know, my boss telling me something, it was just so much easier to tap the complication on my watch. My phone's charging somewhere, my phone might be somewhere else, but my watch is always right on me. So the quick capture feature, uh, using drafts as a tool to get information into OmniFocus became my my baseline. I just do not capture into OmniFocus unless an automation is going to put it there for me. So, so basically, draft is actually acting as a gateway. Right. Yeah. So it's a couple years ago. I really wanted to consolidate everything. I wanted to have a. Um, I wanted to have specific purposes for for different things in my life, and and drafts just became the. If I'm going to type text, it's going to go into drafts. Whether it's an email, whether it's a an essay, it's a blog post. Uh, it's going to go into drafts, and it just reduced the the number of questions I needed to ask when when things came up. Yeah. Um, and so drafts is the place for that. Did you replace uh, when when you did that consolidation? What 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 kind of tools did you remove from your workflow? Did you have a bunch of tools, or was that an individual, a specific tool you you took out of your workflow? Yeah. So for um, for text, you know, I, I was playing around with Evernote a long time ago. Uh, Notion was interesting to me for a while. Google Docs. I had a lot of different places for things. I had, you know, here's a, a lesson plan for teaching would go into Google Docs or um, a idea for a, a blog post would go into Notion. And it would just added too much resistance to the capture that it, it fell back to one of those, oh, I'll remember that. 
and as soon as I started trusting my brain again, everything fell apart. And so I decided that the fastest, most accessible way to capture text is drafts. And then over time, drafts has just become extraordinarily powerful with so many other features that it's not just a quick capture tool anymore. It can be a repository of information. So drafts is it for me. Can we take around uh, the room here, Martin? How, what is your, actually, it's been a while since we talked about drafts and you. Yeah. How's that going for you? It's going really well, actually. I use drafts, I think, every day, multiple times. I don't actually use the actions that much that I set up. Sometimes there is a few actions I do, but it's just my go-to text capturing tool. So whenever I need to capture something quick, I do it there. Or if I need to play around with a text, something, it's safe, it's there. And I use it a lot. Um, but I could actually probably, I think, work more with the automations or the actions to to shoot things into different places. I know I have a an action that will take this thing into OmniFocus, but I never use it. Mm. So that's just who I am. Yeah. Because I have a speed key on my keyboard for OmniFocus. So, uh, and I use drafts mainly from my laptop. Yeah. I never use it from my watch. And that could be that, uh, as we also said in, in earlier episodes of the podcast, I'm not that big of a fan of the Apple Watch. Mm. Um, I have one. I will probably not buy a new one uh, because I'm not. I'm, I mean, it's it's not that impressing to me because you don't capture on it. <laughs> exactly. I, I, it could also be that my version is uh, unfortunately one of the earlier ones, yeah. and it's not powerful enough to actually do these things in you know in a quick enough way. Because if I start drafts on my watch, it I mean it takes too long. I have already mm. forgotten what it was all about. Uh, my phone is quicker and sometimes I do capture there. Um, but then I more often actually just falls back to the sound recorder for whatever reason. It's just go by what, by what I'm used to do. Yeah. What about you, Jens? How is, how is the relationship between you and Draft these days? Draft is my primary um, capture tool. I use it on, on the phone, iPad, uh, on the Mac. Yeah. Um, so I, I I really use it a lot. I don't have a Apple Watch, so it's it's um, only mm. text text in, and uh, that suits me very well. It's it's just working for me uh, using uh, a draft. Yeah. I thought we have been talking about a few different apps already. We mentioned OmniFocus, we mentioned Draft, we mentioned Keyboard Maestro, Hazel, and so on. Um, how does the uh, your your actually tool stack look like? What are the most common tools that you are using? Um, serendipitously, I guess, uh, everything we just talked about. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I would say, yeah, so Drafts is going to be the app that, I, that I'm using and touching more than anything else. I use it for my meeting notes. I use it for you know, jotting down quick capture stuff. It is uh, the most prominent, probably most used app on, on pretty much all of my devices. Um, second to that, would be that I'm using would be OmniFocus. Um, and I, I'm making this using distinction because Keyboard Maestro is behind everything all the time, but I'm mm. not in Keyboard Maestro, you know, editing and making stuff. It, you know, Keyboard Maestro is, uh, you know, doing some spelling corrections for me. I, I have it set up as a, like the text trigger is a, for some of the words that I just can't spell correctly in my brain, no matter what, when I type them out, Keyboard Maestro is going to fix that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am writing an email, w- whether it's in drafts or whether it's in the mail app, you know, a 
keyboard maestro is doing stuff for me like addressing it so i get the name correctly it's uh, you know, putting in dates for me so keyboard maestro i might not be opening it and using it a lot but it is everywhere um, but the ones i'm using the most would be omnifocus and and drafts uh, similar to keyboard maestro but probably a little bit uh, or definitely further down the line uh, it's going to be hazel hazel's doing a lot of things for me as well uh, across my macs and what is the stack of Macs you have? Yeah, so my my hardware stack, I'm talking to you guys right now on a late 2015 uh, 27-inch 27 iMac. Uh, that is my, my daily driver, uh, and I've used it for for pretty much everything. As, that is, I guess, the definition of a daily driver. Uh, I do have in the closet in this office, I have a uh, Mac Mini. It's not an M1. It's right before they announced the M1, unfortunately. Uh, it's it's running a Plex server for me. It's running a bunch of automations as well. And um, it's kind of my, it's my automation device. Uh, and then I do have on the, on the shelf behind me, I have a, um, I want to say 2017 13-inch MacBook Pro. Mm. It's not holding up great anymore its battery needs to be serviced and things like that it was a much more common use case when i was teaching because i would you know, be taking that to and to and from school all the time but now it just kind of sits back there for for use on trips and things um and i have a ipad iphone and an apple watch so i'm, I'm pretty much invested across the <laughs> across the ecosystem uh, yeah. a lot of them are getting old but they're all still pretty serviceable so and and sorry for breaking away for just I was just curious and to know what, what what kind of hardware you were actually running all this stuff and and you're using it a lot because you're working from home all day now right and and that's not subject to change so these these uh, devices are basically pretty integrated in your everyday work life and private life right that's how it is yeah. absolutely no, but uh, continuing on the cool stack on the tool stack so what uh, you use Hazel. Uh, and you use it for other stuff than just uh, shuffling files around, don't you? You also use it for triggering various automations, right? I do. That's one of those things that wasn't uh, necessarily one of my fr the first things I was using with Hazel. It's it's a further development once I was started realizing that actually there were some limitations to how I could be using keyboard maestro and shortcuts and OmniFocus, there was this gap uh, in between the three devices. And that was when I used uh, shortcut on my iPad or, or iPhone to do a task. Mm. It was hard to record that that task had been done in OmniFocus. So I might, for instance, take my vitamins and I had a, a I wanted to be able to record using the shortcut that that nutrition information into the Apple Health app, but then also mark it off as complete in OmniFocus. So that gap led me to looking at OmniFocus um, and AppleScript, which led me to saying, "Well, what can I? How can I trigger this AppleScript that will tr will work on that? I have this iMac or this Mac Mini over here." So, long story short, I ended up using kind of the lowest common denominator, which was a text mm. file. And if I can move a text file from here to there, then I can use AppleScript to do from there to there. And I just started yeah. kind of putting together this puzzle, this little map. So what I have now is that my iPhone will create a text file in iCloud, which will get saved to my Mac Mini, which will trigger 
Hazel to run an Apple script, which will then mark the task complete. Uh, <laughs> I know yeah. that seems a little bit crazy, but it's, um, it's certainly fast enough to do what I need it to do. And, um, and now it's a tool that I, a path that I can use for lots of other things. And I, I really think that uh, exactly that workflow where, where you create a, a, a file from somewhere, right? And in a directory where Hazel is monitoring, you can use that for, and that is really an overseen uh, feature of, uh, of a very powerful part of Hazel that you can actually use. Okay, when I see this file, I will do this. And you have tons of flexibility in, in triggering all kinds of in JavaScript, AppleScript, what, what have you, best, uh, shell scripts, whatever. Basically, that uh, that you can run on that. I used the same workflow when, when I was wanted to create a connection to home. So I uh, actually changed the rule set on my firewall based on a file that I created in somewhere in iCloud, which I know Mac Mini would. Uh, so, so now it changed the rule and open up the VPN ports. And once I removed the files, it shut down the port and changed the rule set again. That was pretty nice as well. So it, it actually nice. contains a lot of uh, a lot of you know that. Create a file that Hazel monitor that directory, and then you can you know trigger almost anything, right? Yeah, I also had the same path set up to. Uh, we were virtual schooling. My school system was doing attendance where you had to mark your child as present in a on a website. So you had to log into a website and said to say that your child was actually attending virtual school, and that got really tedious. And so I did the same thing. I had a little shortcut that then kicked off a keyboard maestro macro to open up the school's website, log in, click present, log out and do like, it just run that little thing. So I never had to worry about that anymore. It's just uh, something I had to do every day. It took 90 seconds to do. It took me two minutes to automate it, but that two minutes was the last two minutes I ever had to do with it. And I saved 90 seconds every day for 180 school days. I mean, it, it was worth my time to figure out how to do that. And, and yeah. And you can do that with Keyboard Maestro, open websites and do things like that. Wow. But Martin, you can do everything with Keyboard Maestro. <laughs> you can replace even you. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Almost. Then I can be, be off all the time. But it, it is crazy what, what, uh, what you can do with this tool. I mean, you can position your cursor at a certain pixel on your screen, right? Doing something, right? Whatever the use case is for that, but you can actually do it, right? So it does... Tons of features in Hazel. Oh, sorry, and Keyboard Master that that uh, that you know that you are not using, my friend. <laughs> but to do these kind of things, then you you're more or less uh, required to have like on Mac Mini or another Mac somewhere that is is doing this because you would not really want to use your normal desktop to to do this because then when you're sitting there working and oh yeah, I need to do the attendance, then you would click this shortcut on your phone then your laptop would start up a window and do things on your screen. So yeah. that, that is kind of a requirement to, to, uh, to have. Yeah. That really true. opens up some options, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Which is one of the things I told myself when I spent the money to buy it. It was like, okay, I can do a lot of cool automation with this. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of software, right? And uh, you just mentioned shortcuts. And we had a little chit-chat about uh, you know, doing shortcuts for the Mac. But you're not, <laughs> because you are running Pixar still. Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, I am. I am a slow adopter of operating systems. That's for sure. Um, 
comes from, I think, my video editing days because one of my side careers back when I was a teacher was as a video editor using Final Cut Pro and doing wedding and, and corporate videography. So uh, during that time, it was like the, the mindset of like the video editing community is usually you need to wait until at least one or two point updates to make sure that all of the professional software gets updated at the same time or, or has been updated by then and all the plugins are going to work and all the things like that. And that's probably an older mindset that doesn't apply anymore, but it is just kind of stuck with me that I'm, I usually don't update um, iOS or Mac OS until at least a point one. Um, yeah. Well, 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 let's get the truth on the, on the show here. Right. Because I remember that uh, you and I were talking about when we first started talking, you were actually running Catalina and I take full responsibility for forcing <laughs> you into an upgrade to Big Sur. <laughs> that is true. That was an extraordinarily long wait for me. Cause I think that was basically, uh, I upgraded from Catalina to Big Sur maybe in, September of 2021. Mm. So that mm. I definitely waited a little while before that update cycle. What was that a bad experience for you going from buggy Catalina to to a nice picture? Uh it's it's been super smooth. I'm glad I waited uh 11 months to make it happen. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I think I was on I was on the beta train for yeah, well I'm always on the beta train, but the the beta experience I remember as my worst one ever was Catalina. You know, running beta on macOS Catalina was really a nightmare. And it took a while. They did some massive changes uh, under the hood in terms of read-only file systems and stuff. And that was tons of stuff that didn't work. Um, and what always happens on uh, when you're doing, you know, beta uh, beta running on, on, uh, on macOS is that some tools will not work, right? Uh, for one, one that is for sure is that... Uh, uh, audio hijack will definitely not work on a beta, and they just they just know we're not running it, and it comes out a month after release. And there are some other tools as well, which is really tricky. But I have to say that from from a, from a security point of view and from an automation point of view, I need to have a chat with you about uh, going into uh, to Monterey because you have the uh, possibility of doing shortcuts on the Mac. It is definitely tempting. I've heard, and I'm worried about it. Uh, you know, syncing any of the issues that it has to to my devices and, and breaking any of my shortcuts. I, I've heard that it was a, a pretty rough shortcuts release. I think it's getting better, but I'm just I'm, I'm also I'm kind of waiting for that because there's a couple of shortcuts that I use on a on a daily basis that I need to work. Um, and if not, it's really going to be very frustrating. So yeah. we'll see. Getting there. Yeah. Getting there. Yeah. But I don't think that mindset is old old times, so to say, because uh, especially now, since I'm coming from the podcasting world and the the DOS, uh, the digital audio workbench softwares, and if you have a lot of filters in these, they usually all break in the beginning. So you still need to wait a little bit for to get all your filters to work. And I assume it's the same with the video editors because they're all, you know, they're also using filters and they're all low level. Uh, have low-level code that is utilizing the, the mm. hardware as much as possible. So I think that problem is still around. And that's probably not so much Apple's fault. It's more that the the suppliers are too slow to yeah, test it out. Just the development cycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's actually the cycle. They're kind of waiting for the APIs to be complete and, 
and during a beta phases they won't they won't start to develop until they have something a stable platform to develop on right i think that's it all this tech all these systems and it it uh, evolves a little bit around omnifocus as well right and we are four guys on uh, on in this conversation who's actually omnifocus users uh, um, and I'm just curious because now I work from home every day. I never use OmniFocus from my iPhone, almost never. What is uh, what is how's that working for you? Because Mike, you're also working from home, so do you use OmniFocus on your on your iOS device? I do. Uh, I try to. Um... There's certainly some work that has to happen here in front of the computer, but I try to do a couple things um, to make sure like throughout my day that I get up and leave, walk around the house or something like that. Um, so there's a variety of like chores or other um, tasks that will happen in other parts of the house that I use. Um, my son uses my phone every morning. We have an OmniFocus checklist for him to get ready for school. He's seven. Um, and so it, we, his like, a packing list to make sure he has the correct books for the correct days. We've like, I went through and like marked out all the things he needs to get done. So he Son uses that every morning. Son yeah. of a teacher, right? <laughs> yep. I want to make sure that all that stuff's ready to go. So, you know, it's, it gets used, uh, for sure. Um, I don't do heavy lifting on really either of the, of the iOS devices anymore because I'm always at home. So if I'm going to make a big project with, 50 or 60 tasks in it, that's all going to happen on the iMac. Uh, but I use the iOS devices uh, to mark complete tasks more so than create tasks, unless I'm doing the drafts capture. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Martin? You use OmniFocus. You, I almost know the answer of this, but, but what is actually utilization of uh, OmniFocus on your iPhone? I probably use it more or less every day uh, because do? I... Uh, I use I I always like my laptop from my my man cave my office home and, mm. and because I don't want to leave it here if you know you never know if there is someone you know cracking a window and and stealing my my computer and I don't want my computer to go away mm. so I always bring that with me home but most of the time at home I'm actually living on my iPad that's my go to machine at home so I use uh, OmniFocus a lot on the iPad, but also on my iPhone when I'm out and about. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely getting used. But the same as, as Mike, if there's any heavy list, lifting or if I need to create a new project or anything like that, I'm going to do that from my, my desktop or, or my MacBook. And um, I, I use a lot of, I call them template projects, which is essentially just, you know, Post projects that I can copy and paste in again, and I don't even copy those on my uh, my and uh, my uh, iOS devices. I do all of that on my Mac. So I use my devices more as consumption devices. I read email. I mark done things done. I can read my my um, Obsidian notes, for example. And on my iPad, I can do a little bit of creation, but it's still very, very focused on consumption um, because it's it's not the same thing to work from uh, a, a portable device like that. That is, it is from actually from a real computer. So that's just what what I feel about it. Almost the same as uh, as Martin. Uh, it, it's uh, to to have access to uh, the information 
and mark things mm. off uh, and very seldom uh, creating uh, tasks and, uh, and items and on the especially on the, on the phone uh, but then you kept you, you so for okay omnifocus is part of your TG workflow but you actually use uh, drafts on your phone to capture for for omnifocus or? I I I can the smaller uh, tasks uh, I can also capture in in, in omnifocus yeah. but uh, but but usually it's it's just to to view uh, my stuff and and see if I need anything uh, I can I have the uh, either the iPad or iPhone with me. Um, I'm not using I'm not using the iOS version at all actually. Uh, it is. You know, I have it on my phone, and uh, it can remind me of something now and then. But uh, but you know everything, uh, and I gave away my iPod, my iPad to my to my ex-wife, and I'm certainly not missing it actually. So I do everything from the uh, from the 13 inch M1 because it also you know got so great battery life that I can actually be out and about with that one. It's only 13 inch in my backpack, right? So yeah, that's very different. I actually want to throw a little bit of a spanner in the works here because mm-hmm. um, lately I've been looking at a different application to to handle my list manager or be my list manager, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I can um, you can guess which which app it is maybe. Nosby. No, it's not Nosby this time. I, okay. I love Nosby. I used Nosby okay. for seven years. It's a good tool, yeah. definitely. Okay. No, it's actually Apple's Reminders. Mm. Uh, I. Since I am teaching GTD and I'm also coaching people in GTD, I sometimes have clients that is using reminders as their tool. And with the latest re- uh, releases here, it is actually getting pretty powerful. Mm. It has uh, definitely the ability to create the lists now in, in a good enough way. You can group them in a good way. And you can also use tags to you know create your context and these kind of things. Or you know do tags hell like... Oh, Michael oh, is doing. Oh, 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 oh. Stop, um, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> you said yeah. you're using tags. Well, I do that in, in, uh, in OmniFocus as well, right? To, uh, because they rem- uh, renamed it from, from context to tags, right? So, um, but uh, you, you, that would, would be how I would be using the tags in, uh, in reminders to use it as context. But now they also have what they call smart folders. Mm. And so you can actually build up your own views, uh, not as powerful as the OmniFocus perspectives, but the the amount of power that you now have in this quite simple application is actually quite big now. So it's it starts to be become a competitor to to OmniFocus for real, especially if you are looking at the lower end of the scale of your requirements and your needs. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have been looking into reminders and tried things out with it, because what I also think with it, it actually sticks quite well together with the whole Apple ecosystem, because it is on your immediately on your phone, on your watch, on iCloud. Even yes. though the iCloud app maybe has a little bit work it needs to to have done, but it's everywhere quite immediately. What are your thoughts, Mike? <laughs> Would you replace uh, OmniFocus with something like uh, Apple Reminders, if you could? I I would definitely recommend, if somebody wants to start doing, uh, being serious about their productivity, I, I don't know why somebody wouldn't start with Reminders. 
because it has really developed over the past several years. I've seen from the outside. I can't say I haven't gotten my hands dirty, so to speak, on and actually done the, anything with reminders, except for a, a single shared list, like shopping list that I have with my wife. But um, it, reminders is definitely looks like it's getting really powerful. Mm. I don't know for me personally because I'm doing because of the system that I've built up. I don't know if I could switch without paying like a, a pretty hefty uh, switching costs. And right now I, I don't see a need to switch. So I, I'm not there yet, but I could like, I a hundred percent see the, the logic behind it. Cause it is, I, especially the, I think it's texting. Like there's a, there's one that you can do. You can create reminders to text somebody or once they've texted you like there, because that integration across the Apple's ecosystem, it, it, there's some really compelling things that reminders can do that nobody else will be able to because it's it's a first party app. But um, for right now, I'm, I'm envious, but mm. not enough to change. I think um, from my perspective, I can certainly also see that that reminders could be something and I'm not going to switch, but and and it has to do with the way that I that I like to have my lists. Um, as we have discussed on previous episodes of of this podcast, I have uh, I have a set of lists which is basically built very dynamically up on tags. Uh, so I use tags in, in in a number of other ways than just you know sitting in context or at home or at computer and that stuff. I don't use that at all. Because I always have my computer, and you know, so I can always work. But I have my, you know, a Sunday maybe. If it has to go on the Sunday maybe list, it will have a tag. If it has to go on the agenda list for someone, it will have to have that tag and that person. And that's how I build my my uh, my, you know, the overlay, which is my lists on top of all the projects and the tasks. And I don't know if reminders are there, but but uh, but the one thing with OmniFocus that I'm really getting a little bit tired of waiting for is task sharing or, pro or project sharing. And um, and they have promised that for several years now. And it just seems to, for good reasons, probably, you know, Omni is not the biggest software house in the world and they have other applications as well. But but Kencase has really promised for at least the last two years that now it's going to happen. And then they, you know, do Java automation or they have to recompile the whole thing for M1 and that's fair but task sharing I would really love to have that and I've been waiting that was actually the reason why I I, uh, I thought that okay OmniFocus is going to be the tool where I want to have you know it's a cornerstone of my productivity system for sure but I really miss the task sharing and uh, yeah that's uh, and you can do that with reminders, right? In an effective yep. way, and you can do it, and and you have like sharing, you have shortcuts, and you have all that is now built in from scratch, right? And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be powerful, I think. But it's I I don't think it's going to replace my my task manager, but I can certainly see that that compared to what I see on the Microsoft suite of programs, that the reminder part is very strong as it can be a very strong ggd contender uh in in what i see on microsoft to do and uh, and all those other apps that that they offer right there is definitely happening a lot on the microsoft side right now when it comes to to their to-do solution as well hmm. i think it's a bit similar to the reminders app it still has a little bit uh, a way a bit to go before it's really there i would not 
uh, change my application from OmniFocus to Reminders of the simple reason, because it will take time. So why should I do that? It's nothing that will, I will not give or get anything additionally from Reminders that I don't have now and that I, there is nothing in Reminders that I need. So I would not change either. And I bought the license. I have, I don't have the subscription version. I have the perpetual license. license. Yeah. 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 So uh, as long as that license exists, uh, I don't see a reason to change, really. For new GTDs, maybe, uh, that you could, like, could actually be fun testing out to see how, how far would you go with a simple a simple GTD system based on reminders. That would probably be interesting to do that work. You will get far, definitely. It's yeah. a very competent application to start off with, and it's fast and, and nice. So it's definitely a good recommendation to start off with, uh, because if you're on a Mac, you don't need to buy anything either. You can just start building that out. Mm. And and start getting the the process under the hood and get used to how you actually should work mm. instead of starting to playing too much with a, a maybe a new tool mm. because I think when I started with OmniFocus for example I really really hated that app for like three months <laughs> before I got all my perspectives in place and I got to a place that okay now this one starts to to really work that was uh, OmniFocus three and just to put a little bit more into the mix series, I actually bought the version 2 licenses as well. Mm-hmm. I used them for a week and then I, I just couldn't. So I, I switched back to, to Nosby that I was using then. So I bought version 2, didn't really use it and then waited for a while. And then I actually met Jens and a couple of guys in the Danish uh, GTD group and I was kind of bullied into using OmniFocus. So I needed <laughs> to buy version 3 licenses and now it's, it's like, no, I don't not buy more and more licenses. It will. I need to use this for a while. But it's funny with you, Martin, because you're always on your way out of OmniFocus one way or the other. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. why actually. So it's something you know, because I, you know, if if you go into the application, I think it's really one of the best Mac apps that was ever invented. I mean, I really think they have uh, you know, it's high quality software, and uh, so you know. I never had the thought that, oh, I need to find an alternative to, to OmniFocus because once I bought the license of uh, license three or version three, it's kind of, I continue to find small, small corners of uh, OmniFocus that really works well into the, into the macOS, uh, especially into macOS. Uh, that's me. What about you, Jens? I will stick with the OmniFocus uh, until something uh, extraordinary comes up. Mm. <laughs> but I'm th- I'm thinking, uh, Mike, do do you use any uh, mind mapping software? Yeah, actually, um, I bought uh, Mind Node several years ago and didn't do much with it. Uh, but in the past, maybe eighteen or twenty four months, uh, I have been finding a lot of benefit from using Mind Node to create mind maps, um, whether it's organizing projects or ideating a a blog post or um, video. It's been really helpful as I like using MindNode as as like a messy place to do work. It's helpful to be able to drag things and push things around. Um, And I find that similar to a similar use case for drafts. but I think drafts is more helpful if I have a little bit more structure already in my head. But MindNode's the place I go if I really am trying to build something from the ground up and don't have a lot of 
pre-work in my head already. Uh, and that's another you know, rock-solid Mac app. Yeah, mm. and, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, MindNote and, and MindMap user for several, several years. Um, and, and really uh, happy that you're, <laughs> you're in the podcast. Uh, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not the primary app for 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 some some of the group here, uh, but but um, <clears throat> I I really like uh, uh, using uh, mind maps for for getting the overview, getting the uh, a grip on 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 these uh, uh, ideas that you you have a vague idea of where you want to go, but but you need. A, a tool to to help you uh, get uh, closer to writing text in in, in draft. We we uh, just as a backstory for my curious that we have had several discussions on the, on the, on mind mapping and and mind mapping tools, and I think all of us, including you, Martin, having mind note as well, right? No, I don't have mind note. I have, have a pen and paper, or I use nowadays draw.io instead. Okay. Well, anyway, we we had a long episode on uh, GTD and the higher horizons, and uh, and uh, there's uh, we have very different ways into working with the higher horizons. And Jens is definitely working uh, with mind maps a lot from basically uh, from two to five almost, right? Yeah. Three to five. You're using you're using no, mind no, maps. Two to five. So yeah. Where I do, and I really see that as getting an overview, but I don't see it as a tool when you want to go into the details, and that's where I switch over to to Obsidian instead, right, and make a document on that. Right? So that's how, do you do you uh, Mike? Do you work any on on the higher horizons, and and where do the mind maps fit into your into your flow? Um, that's one of the areas where I'm not. Um, a real strict adherent to, to GDD methodology in that area. The longer term strategy, I, I definitely have benefited from GTD on a more tactical, like shorter time scale, like not trusting my brain and you know, capturing things like the weekly reviews. I find tremendous benefit from those types of things, but longer term, I, I don't, I don't do a lot of work on, on those types of um, long-term strategies. I, do you guys listen to a podcast called um, Cortex? Have you ever heard the Cortex yep. podcast before? Yeah, it's a relay okay. show. Yeah, yeah, it's a relay yeah. show. I assume so, but I don't want to assume too much. Um, and and the yearly themes I found to be super helpful um, for me as a shorter term. I'm not sure quite what level that would fall in in the GTD methodology as far as higher horizons, but yearly themes or even um, the like a, a seasonal theme mm. has been really helpful for me to say, um, you know, last, I think it was last spring I had, uh, the, the, the spring of reading where like I, I wanted to build that habit and, and I would do all my stuff that I needed to do, obviously all my jobs and things like that. But if there was a, um, there was a decision, a fork in the road, like what should I do right now? I was like, well, it is a spring of reading. So I should, I should read something, uh, as opposed to watching a YouTube video. Like I find that shorter term stuff to be super helpful, but I, I don't. Um, I don't have like a longer term strategy plan. Um, it, it brings a question to my mind. So uh, uh, we talked in the pre-show that uh, that you actually changed your job from uh, from being a high school teacher to be a, uh, a corporate uh, uh, teacher. 
So where would that fit in? You know, making is that a, a you know what kind of decision is that for you? Because I, what I would think was it would be a pretty big one actually for you. And where would that fit into into the horizons things, right? For you. So for me, uh, it it was a big, it was a risky choice. Um, for sure, because teaching uh, my job was a very stable job. It was uh, it was a good position um, as far as teaching positions. I could have done that job for thirty years, um, but for me, what it came down to kind of was that I ran out of fun problems to solve. Like I got to do all the stuff. Like I. I played around with a bunch of cool things and I really enjoyed them. And I wouldn't say like I solved teaching or anything like that, but the rest of the problems that were in that job, uh, the rest of the things for me to work on on a daily basis, other than the, uh, you know, teaching students about science and the human body, which was my, my area of expertise was anatomy. Um, I, I wanted to, like I ran out of those problems. So it, it would have lost kind of the, it was losing, I should say the, the spark or the inspiration. And that's why I wanted to to switch. Was that um, because you you didn't feel that you could develop anymore in the job, or you know? Um, it I felt like I had come up with solutions that I was satisfied with for from pretty much all aspects of the job. Like I I hand I could handle all the administrative tasks. I had the solutions for that. I I had automated things that solved those problems and, and I didn't need, it didn't need more uh, work there. The, the way I was teaching the class, I really spent the past like last five years of my career making what's called gamified classroom. So I basically turned my classroom into a, a website that used a bunch of like game design theory and educational science to make like this really cool experience. Um, and I was like, okay, well I've, I've done, I've done everything I want to do here. So I could just rinse and repeat the same thing for the next 20 years, but that really wouldn't have been really invigorating for me. And, and, and did, did you have any t- tools or, or methods, uh, for coming to, to this, uh, decision of, of, of change? Well, this is this is definitely going to. Um, I haven't really shared this story too many places, but uh, this is going to be a very non-GTD answer. Um, but so, I was on vacation with my family. We were at a. Um, it was we were at a national park on our on our quest to visit all the national parks in the United States, and I got an email um, asking me to justify a thirty-five dollar purchase that I had made one that I make every year. The the person from accounting was very upset that this purchase had been made and wanted to know how I got this authorized or things like that. And it was just at that point, I don't know. I just said, I don't need to spend my, I don't need to just like, this isn't my job. Like my job is not to tell you why I spent $34 to do my job. I was buying yearly hosting for our school's website. I just needed to pay to buy the hosting. It's something I'd done every year for the past five years, but some, somebody audited the purchase and said, what is going on here? I said, okay, that's fine. Uh, Here's the email. Here's, here's why, you know, why I purchased it. But, and then from there, uh, I started looking for jobs. Mm. Um, and I don't know why it was that particular moment, but, um, I'm very happy to to have made the change and um, interested in solving new problems and doing new things with new people. 
I wouldn't say that's a very strategic answer. It wasn't, that's not a long-term horizons type answer response to that, but it was just a uh, confluence of factors that, that led to that change. It's just because I, I, I would uh, think that, that you might be uh, even a high level GCD without even knowing that, that you, 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 you have your principles and, and, and maybe not written down but you you know like this is not the kind of teacher and this is not the kind of work I'm going to do so I'm going to to, to change the job and and then have an idea of what kind of job you wanted to to uh, transfer into um, so so you might not have written things down in, in the higher horizons but you have made you know, in, in like an uh, in internal homework so so you were able to to navigate uh, Anyhow, I would certainly agree that I um, that I have I, I try to make my decisions based on principles and systems and and uh, I don't know how perfectly it maps to the GTD um, levels, but I definitely um, you know my my goal, um, which comes from my mother who passed uh, maybe like ten or twelve years ago now, but her her guideline was that you know parents need to get need to do more to give more to their children than the parents had for them so i grew up in a very kind of like economically depressed area um but her like she spent her life going to school going back to school and and moving us to a better area with better schools and things like that and she did as best as she could to kind of move me forward so i would say i guess maybe my highest level priority is you know i need to and it doesn't mean like buying my kids stuff it just means like do giving my kid the best life that I can, um, giving him the most experiences that I can. And like everything falls down from there, which probably also influenced the the career change. You know, I could work from home. I could make more money, spend less time, spend more time with family, that type of thing. Um, so maybe I guess I, I have a couple other principles in place that, that guide my choices. So I'd probably have to crack open that chapter in, in GTD to see how I match, match up to those things. But how do I get work done every day and uh, and do that type of stuff? And, and I, I think we'll be surprised that uh, see that uh, I, I think you use the higher horizons more than you give yourselves credit for with, without knowing them. Perhaps. I would say that we all use and have the higher horizons, but we may not, may not be aware of them. Yeah. And that's the, I think the, uh, the difference is between us that uh, has actually documented them and a lot of other people. It's just that we have written them down on paper and and thought about them and maybe thought about, okay, all of these areas of focus or areas of responsibilities, these things that we really should have, or do we need to do something about it? So since we have documented them down, we have the ability also to look at them and take logic decisions around them if we want to change them or move them. So, so this thing that a uh, thirty-four dollar dispute <laughs> comes up—that that that is that could happen to us as well. Yeah. But we we would probably just look at our our horizons and see, okay, this is a problem. How how now now I am I'm feeling that this is not correct, and then we need to to adjust, and then we would create a project to do that. So it's I would say the documentation is the big difference that that we have written them down. But all people have this more or less. You know, mm. on top of their mind. Actually, I think that it's very individual. You know, 
how and when you approach the higher horizons in GTD. Um, from my point of view, it was basically getting the basics under control. And that gave me, at some point, some space to work into, you know, okay, uh, why am I sitting in these uh, areas of responsibility? Is that something I really want? And and the output and or the input for that for that matter is that something that I want to continue with? And that was a very long list. And you know, I started the the uh, cleaning up in in those areas of responsibilities. And so, okay, now I have some space. I have some time. What do I really want to do in life? Why am I here? What is the kind of daddy I want to be with my kids now that I've cleaned up this uh, bit of a messy everyday life and, and that was you know the process for me so I think the one thing is that it is written down and you can and you can you you can bring it in, in front of your eyes again but writing it down was basically the biggest revelation for me was actually to do the thinking and the writing about the, the you know read your fifth horizons document out loud for yourself while you look yourself in the mirror <laughs> and then you will find you know are we on the right track or is that just, you know, bullshitting yourself? Serendipitously, I have you guys read the book uh, Triggers by Marshall Goldsmith, I think is his last name? I haven't read it. Yeah, it is Marshall. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's um, he challenges in the book to um, every day assess yourself on a couple questions that you write yourself about like did i do these things and so just yesterday um last night i updated my day one the journaling app day one yeah. i updated my evening template to include some questions and i guess those probably are my horizons perhaps uh you know like did i did i build relationships did i was i a good dad was i uh you know those types of things and so that's probably exactly what you're talking about i just don't have the the vocabulary to, to Jens point uh, and to Martin's point to all your points. Right. I don't have the, uh, the vocabulary to assign levels to it, but um, it is an important, I think it is extraordinarily important to, to reflect. I've always been a big fan of reflection, mm. uh, but that higher level stuff is to your point, Michael, um, you gotta, you gotta put the fires out in the house before you can start thinking about, you know, the Definitely. addition you're going to put on the back, you know, the, the remodeling you're going to do. So it, it took a while for me to get through the same types of things to 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 put the fires out and uh, probably need to put some more formal practice in place on my horizons than uh, than I have already. But but really, thank you for for bringing up uh, Marshall Goldsmith and 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 his uh, questions. Uh, they they are they're so powerful. Uh, and and Martin and I was lucky enough to to hear March, uh, Marshall uh, uh, on a. Conference in, in, in Amsterdam. In, uh, Here it goes again, right? As much as I love Amsterdam, now I hate it even more, right? It's every third episode we have this Amsterdam theme. <laughs> Sorry, Jens. No, but 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 uh, <clears throat> he, he talks. Uh, he, he talked uh, about it at the conference and and, and was telling that uh, usually uh, uh, people only last uh, two weeks of. Uh, Asking themselves these questions um, because it's it's mm. it's really hard uh, seeing the the answers to to the the questions that you have created yourself to ask yourself every day. Wasn't it him that asked his secretary to call him every day or yeah. contact him every day to actually answer those? Yeah, yeah. And it is tough. It is you know I tried it. I I lasted for ten days or something, right? 
not that I, you know, then something else happens, and that's what happens with these things. Something else happens, right? And then you get off track. And but it's it's definitely, you know, you can bullshit yourself for a day or two, but on the third day or the fourth day, no, you're not really telling the truth here to yourself, right? And who benefits from that? No one, really. And that's where I'd I'd argue that uh, automation is really helpful, so that you can't talk yourself out of not doing it, right? When when my phone asks those questions because I told it to ask me those questions and then you I, obviously I can go through and take that away and, and edit that and make that not happen anymore but it's just a more deliberate step I find it easy to tell myself oh well yeah I didn't work out this morning but that's okay because uh, this other thing's going to happen later you know it's it's easy but if I'm build obligation into my my day even if it's a, a prompt on a on a screen somewhere I find that to, harder to say no to than just a quick thought that goes through my head. So hopefully I can stick with the questions. But like I said, I, I put them in last night, so I haven't actually even asked myself the questions yet. It'll be in tonight's journal prompt. Uh, so we'll see how see how long I can I can keep that up. But hopefully technology can help me live up to what I want to do. Stick to it. Yeah. And I think this is actually a pretty good uh, point to start to round today's episode off and i have at least one more question that i would like to ask and while i'm doing that maybe jens and michael you can think about your last question as well so in the beginning we talked quite a lot about drafts and that is a really fantastic application to capture text and to work a little bit with the text and send it onwards to somewhere else I would say it's a pretty crappy application to actually store text and to to find text. I used Evernote a lot in the past as my tool to to capture like all the notes. I had a very very large library of notes and some of these lo- notes were also interlinked with each other so I could easily navigate them almost like a, a personal wiki you could say. And do you have any tool to handle kind of this database of notes or the all, all the writings you have that you don't shoot into OmniFocus, that you don't move into another application. But some of these are you know, a type of reference. Sure. I've used um, I've used Google Docs. I've used Evernote, Notion. But I would take slight umbrage to the drafts not being a good place for that long-term stuff. Uh, and the past couple of releases have really developed a wiki-style cross-linking that have been helpful it doesn't give you like the graph views that i'm aware of but not i've never seen from like obsidian or or um what's the other one that's out there that's like rome obsidian. Rome. rome rome research and those types of things um but i i appreciate again that consolidation that i've done um i even if i don't get some of those other features being able to cross link and search and and you know create wiki style links and drafts in the past couple of releases has sufficed anything that's video or digital based uh, i store in google drive so um i have a, a g suite account or the google workspace account so um i feel somewhat confident with that as from a, like a business contract perspective i i th- feel i'm not sure if that's true or not but I've, I've told myself that there is data privacy built into the contract and i feel better about that than having like a free account is that not true no it's not but that's a no, separate discussion <laughs> gotcha so i keep i keep uh those types of things multimedia things in there but i don't keep uh but all my text stays in drafts yeah maybe i need to look 
into drafts again what happened uh, on that front for the last yeah i've been using it a long time now so a fear at least the last two three months actually a lot of stuff happened in in that respect yeah there's some good actions for cross-linking too yeah yeah the reason i ask is that we we the three of us on the podcast here we were really big users of Obsidian or has become big users of Obsidians during the lifetime of this podcast, actually. And I just see since Obsidian is working as it is, I get so much more value out of the information I put in there just because of the relationship in between the different notes. Mm -hmm. So that's why why I was a little bit curious about uh, how you did with, uh, with your information there. It looks awesome. And it would be my very first stop after drafts like if i was looking for anything i'd be looking at obsidian um but right now i'm, I'm good i don't have a question for you i have a challenge for you <laughs> oh here we go i think i know where this is going uh, yeah it, it could be uh, one of two things so what you want to do uh work on uh, shortcuts on the mac meaning upgrading <laughs> to monterey or do you want to take a deep dive into obsidian and come back and talk with us about it that is an interesting interesting uh fork in the road there i Honestly, probably I would, I'm most tempted certainly to investigate Obsidian. Obsidian seems pretty interesting. I haven't heard anybody say they didn't like it. It is very automation friendly. Yeah, that's what I hear as well. Uh, and I think there's, there are plenty of actions to get things from drafts to Obsidian. Um, so that, that could be an interesting uh, experiment for sure. So do we have a deal? Sure. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Yes. I can promise it's going to be robust, but I'll try it no, out. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's fine. That's uh, that's how it is. It is what it is, right? So, Jens, what do you have as a final comment? I was wondering if I, I should ask about privacy, but uh, then <laughs> I think we have a, a whole new uh, episode uh, for the questions and answers uh, in, in that area. Um, mm. So, uh, end with uh, talking about the ch- checklist uh, instead you you've used it quite a lot and seems to get uh, quite some um, quite helpful for you uh, do do you do you use uh, checklists as a as a starting point for when you when you're doing automation yeah um a lot of times a checklist is going to be a for me um an automation is going to produce a checklist uh, a lot of times an automation is going to be a goal to achieve some tasks. And if I'm working on a project at, at the end, there will be a checklist for me to go through and do the things that couldn't be automated or yeah, basically that couldn't be automated. So I'll do, for instance, uh, making a YouTube video. I have an automation that's going to go through and it's going to make the folders. It's going to make the script template and drafts. It's going to you know do a bunch of work and then it's going to give me the checklist of the things for me to do now that all that other stuff's been taken care of. So I find checklists to be a good way, not only to make sure that I do the things that I've learned in the past, but also to capture learning that happens so that the next time I make a video, I remember to switch the audio processing back on, on my soundboard after I do my recording so that my Zoom meeting tomorrow doesn't sound weird. Like those little things like that, that are easy for me to forget, end up on the checklist. And so I hopefully kind of get into this perpetual improvement, capturing of learning that next time, you know, if I get all that stuff done, well, what's the, you know, what's the new learning that happened? It doesn't always happen, but I always build in my checklists a step to reflect on and update the checklist. (laughs) It's a little bit meta, but um, 
it, I find it to be a really helpful way to, to build. Now, unfortunately, sometimes that means I have checklists that are 50 or 60 items long for producing a video, but there are a lot of things that go into producing a video, but that's okay. That's how it is, right? That's why you have them. And I really uh, like your reply here because it's, for me, I, I would first think of having a checklist and trying to automate that. But the idea of, of making some automations and, and having a checklist to make sure that uh, the things you're not able to automate gets done, uh, that, that's, that's uh, a new way of uh, seeing it and quite helpful for me. I will create more checklists uh, from that idea. Thank you. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah, that was um, probably the most helpful book that I've ever read um, was the Checklist Manifesto. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, have heard of it um, or read it before, but it's basically that uh, exactly that concept that the checklists are for helping you do the things that you know you need to do, but um, human brains are just fallible and and too ridden to mistakes, even no matter how smart we are, or how much how many times you've done something. So I and and teaching the term checklist was often like a derogatory term. A lot of teachers be like, well, I'm not just going to go through a checklist of things like. Why the hell are not? Like you should. <laughs> no wonder that you're having trouble because you're not using. Like, and so I, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool, and it's not demeaning. It's not a. It's not that I'm incapable of doing the task. Well, I guess it is technically that I'm incapable of always doing the task correctly. Like I can do the task, but I can do it faster at a higher quality, more reliably if I do use a checklist. So why don't I? And you can build in a change, right? And if you share a checklist with something else, which is one of one of the things from the checklist manifesto that I was just puzzled about, was why is this about hospitals? <laughs> yeah, for good reasons, right? And and once I came came overcame that, it was came, okay, of course, and it becomes really powerful because it's out of my own context and it's not IT or sales or whatever. It's just like from a completely different world, and it really makes sense why checklist is a good idea and. Uh, yeah, and and the really good thing with checklists is that it actually helps you freeing up your mind that you don't have to remember these things. And as we all know, we can use our head and our brains for better things than remember that we need to turn on or turn off something on the recording equipment every stuff. time we we should do something, like being creative or being you know present with the family and friends. So definitely, checklist is definitely not something that is a demeaning or anything is something that helps us to be better humans. So I think this was a really good uh, ending to, to the podcast. Um, so we can find you, Mike, at themikeburk.com, your blog. And that is definitely a fantastic website to look into. Uh, there is so much information there and link also back to the videos that you recorded on YouTube. So if you haven't checked that out, Go and do it right now. There is a lot of good stuff there. And of course, you can also find Mike on Twitter as here, Mike Burke. So um, with that, let's round off. Uh, me that speaks Swedish, you can find on martinhagen.se or uh, at martinhagen on Twitter. And uh, you can find Jens at uh, J-E-H-P-E-T. And Michael can be found on D-R-E-V-E-S, also on Twitter. And you can find the whole gang on at Smarter Tech and Mike. 
thank you a lot for getting up this Saturday morning early and talk with us for almost a half, an hour and a half. It was wonderful having you on the show, and uh, I really look forward to having you back discussing uh, Obsidian at some point. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it as well, and I appreciate the uh, the opportunity uh, to to be here with you guys and talk through some things. I feel like I always get better, learn more, get more insight through the conversations like this. So I. I appreciate it, both with Obsidian privacy and, and, and just the productivity in general is always always a good time to talk to people about. So I appreciate the, the opportunity. Thanks a lot. Thank you.